Gracious God, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us and that you would challenge us, that you would help us find ways to become more aware of you in our lives, that you would continue to give us tools that we might be changed, that you would help us shift our focus so that we see you better. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, Gary Preston tells uh, the story of when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, good old-fashioned Morris code. Uh, there's a story, perhaps apocryphal, about a young man who applied for a job as a Morris code operator, so the one who actually takes the message and turns it into the dashes and dots. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed. When he arrives, he entered a large and noisy office. In the background, a telegraph was clacking away. Uh, everyone was talking, on, uh, talking all over the office. And a sign on the receptionist's counter instructed job applicants to fill out a form and then wait until they were summoned to enter the inner office. The young man walked in, completed the form, sat down with the seven other waiting applicants who had obviously arrived before him. After a few minutes, our young guy stands up, crosses the room, and boldly goes right through the inner office door, walks right in. Naturally, the other applicants perked up, wondering what was going on. Why had this man been so bold? They muttered among themselves that they hadn't heard any summons yet. They took more than a little bit of satisfaction in assuming the young man who went into the office would be reprimanded for his presumption and summarily disqualified for the job. Within a few minutes, the young man emerged from the inner office, escorted by the interviewer, who announced to the other applicants, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming, but the job has been filled by this young man. The other applicants began to grumble with each other, and one finally spoke up. Wait a minute. I don't understand something. He was the last one to come in, and we've been waiting for a while, and we never got a chance to be interviewed. Why did he get the job? That's not fair. And the employer responded, I I'm sorry, but the whole time that you've been sitting here, that telegraph machine has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, come right in, the job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it, and this young man did. That's why he got the job. Imagine that. The message had been there the whole time, clacking away, and none of the other applicants could even hear it. It was drowned out by the noise and by their own distraction. Makes me wonder, what might we be missing amidst all the clamor of our own lives? What are we paying attention to, and thus, what might we be missing? Worse still, what if we do that same thing with God? What if God is not only present, but what if God is actively speaking, and we simply can't hear Him through the noise? What if we have so much going on around us that we can't decipher the signal, the voice, 
amidst the clamor? What if we've become so comfortable, so contented, that we've stopped listening altogether? While we think about that, let me remind you where we are and where we're going. Uh, we're starting to wind down this series looking at the lifestyle that Jesus leads in hopes that we can have a life more like His. More specifically, we've been looking at the spiritual disciplines because maybe Jesus has the life He has with all of that peace and all of that hope and all of that encouragement and all of that love. Maybe He has that life because of the lifestyle He leads. Of course, some of the disciplines of the faith are obvious. Prayer and Bible study and service and fellowship, those are crucial to the faith. But as we've been talking about, in order to make room for these disciplines, maybe we also need to work on the disciplines of abstinence. In other words, maybe our lives have simply become a little bit too cluttered and crowded and comfortable so that there's not enough room for us to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. But maybe we can take some things away. To this end, we are focusing on what Dallas Willard calls the disciplines of abstinence, things like silence or solitude, fasting, sacrifice. So as we think about those, we're finally ready to start moving toward our passage, uh, and therefore, if you would, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 36. Uh, while you're turning there, I would simply want to say that it'll be helpful for you to recognize this is basically right after the Christmas story. A couple days after Jesus has been born, His parents bring Him to the temple to present Him and their sacrifices. So Luke, chapter 2, verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. Our passage today begins with a woman of faithfulness. She's been staying in the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying. And maybe because of these lived-out disciplines, she's able to recognize redemption when she sees him in this small child. Jesus' parents finish their acts of worship and sacrifice, and then they return back home, and Jesus grows in strength and wisdom and grace. Of course, this trip to the temple wasn't an anomaly. Instead, it's more indicative of a larger pattern in their lives because they made a regular practice of going to church. And so we're not surprised to find Jesus back at church when he's 12. After the festival is over, the caravan of, and Jesus' parents all start heading back toward home. And after traveling for the, a day, they start to look around for Jesus, and they can't find him. In other words, we find out here that Jesus' parents are not helicopter parents. That said, they do eventually start looking for him. They do eventually notice he's not there, and their search leads them all the way back to Jerusalem, at which point they find him in the temple. And he's there in the temple conversing with the adults, with the teachers, asking questions, answering questions. And not totally surprising, Jesus seems to be holding his own. He's debating, he's challenging, he's engaging in their discussions. And since we're in a series on disciplines, it is worth noticing that Jesus apparently has been growing in wisdom. He's been studying. Now, now, sure, sure, he's also God, so he could have tapped into kind of the infinite knowledge of that, but as far as I can tell, Jesus normally tended to do things the way that we are supposed to do them. And so I think this tells us that he has been hard at work learning and digging into the Scriptures and studying the faith, especially since we've just been told that he grew in wisdom. That normally takes effort. That doesn't just happen automatically. After his parents find him, they bring him home, and he continues to grow in strength and wisdom and favor with God and humanity. Before moving on, it's, it's also worth noting just the imagery of this passage. As the older woman of the faith extends her blessings and grace upon this younger person who picks that up then and ends up changing the world. We don't do that enough anymore. But for the remainder of our time, I want us to take a step back and look at some of the various disciplines in our passage. Remember, we're talking mainly about these disciplines of abstinence, and yet they tend to go with a discipline of adding in. So there's a discipline of fasting, but then we also see prayer there. There's a discipline that I, that I call stability along with worship. So I want us to look at those in greater detail. But as we do talk about this, I do want to start to invite you, even challenge you, to think about how might these apply in your own lives? How could you practice these in your own lives? Now, I recognize today's Mother's Day, and therefore um, there's probably a brunch or a meal that's going to happen later. So talking about fasting seems kind of like… Uh, I don't assume you're going to apply this maybe today, 
but maybe later in the week. What might this look like if you were to try this? And so we dig in. The first one's the hard one. It is the discipline of fasting. Interestingly, fasting seems to be coming back into vogue these days. I just finished a a book by a doctor called Outlive, and the doctor expresses all of these various health benefits to fasting. Uh, This study, and this study, and this study, and this study, and it helps with this, it helps with this, it helps with that. If you look on the internet for more than a minute uh, about this, that, or the other thing, there are plenty of people who want to tell you about intermittent fasting. Just miss a meal here, miss a meal there. It seems like everyone is just discovering this, this ancient practice that turns out to be helpful. I always have to chuckle when people make a discovery that something that God has told us to do a long time ago ends up being beneficial for us in some way. Imagine that. Of course, God isn't asking us to do this for medical reasons or health reasons or diet reasons. God is asking us to do this for Him as a way to practice and grow our faith. For us, fasting in its simplest form is to go without food for a time in order to focus more on God. And that last part's the key part. Like all of the other disciplines that we've been talking about, we are removing something so that we can listen to and look towards and learn from God better. And fasting is the same. Let's also recognize that most of us probably don't need to be quite as satiated and full and overstuffed as we like to think. Now, that being said, before we really get into the logistics and spirituality of fasting, I do feel like I need to give some kind of legal disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I do not play one on TV. Uh, And therefore, before making any changes to your diet, please consult with your physicians. Uh, Talk about any medical risk and all the rest. That's That's important. Furthermore, for those of you who sometimes experience the emotion that we call hangry, you will also need to consult with all of the other people around you and get their approval before missing a meal or snack time, because we may need to either sign off on that or be distant from you when you practice. I know Jesus does say when you practice fasting, make sure no one else knows but also make sure they're distant, I would add, in our present day and age. Because, of course, if you try fasting, you may experience a strange gnawing feeling in your tummy. Uh, We call it hunger. Uh, And often it is unpleasant, so be warned. Getting back to it, when it comes to fasting, the concept is simple enough. It's choosing to not eat for a time in order to become more aware of our need for God. And there's different types. There's different kinds of fasting. There's short ones and long ones. A a meal versus day or days. You can fast from everything, or you can fast from maybe just food. You can drink fluids, but you stay away from the food. There were other fasts of where bread and water were okay, but nothing more, nothing decadent. And when you think about these, you can tell that some of these you can do for a longer amount of time and some you you can't. But again, we probably also need to be reminded about what we're not talking about when we talk about fasting. Because some of you are thinking, uh, oh, I do that all the time. Sometimes I'm so busy around lunchtime, I just just miss the meal altogether. That's not fasting. That's missing a meal because you're working too much. Uh, This isn't about a, a productivity hack or a dieting trick. 
Furthermore, it's not about being so impoverished that you can't afford food. If you can't afford food, that's not fasting. That's something that we, the church, need to respond to. Fasting also isn't about feeling so depressed you lose your appetite. Those are all things that are different. This is a tool to remove something to become more aware of God. You're taking the time not eating and using it to pray. You're taking the extra time of not eating in order to serve. You're making a space in your life in order to tune into what God is doing and maybe even saying all around you. As we go without, as we withhold, as we discipline ourselves, we are training our bodies to obey better. It is hard to miss a meal. Your body is sneaky. You will find, I'm not going to eat a meal, and I'm not going to eat a meal, and I'm not going to go sit at that table, but I will walk by this pantry, and suddenly there are crackers in my hand. Like, your body is, is amazing at finding calories. So this is a discipline. It takes work. But maybe that has other benefits as we try and discipline other parts of our lives. What's more, as we're not quite so overly stuffed, maybe we come to recognize other hungers in our lives that normally go unnoticed. Maybe we even become more aware of how much we need God. Lauren Winner writes, fasting is to be, as St. Thomas Aquinas once wrote, a perfect quieting of all our impulses, fleshly and spiritual. Fasting is not meant to drag us down, but to still us. It's not meant to distract us from the really real, but rather to silence us so that we can hear things as they most truly are. She goes on to write, the fast accomplishes a repositioning. When I am sated, it is easy to feel independent. When I am hungry, it's impossible to remember where my dependence lies. Or it is possible to remember where my dependence lies. And maybe this is part of the reason why this practice is really so beneficial. Maybe this is part of the reason that, that it's been practiced for thousands of years. In the Bible, it's not just Jesus who fasts. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry, the most obvious passage in the whole Bible. But the Israelites fasted. David fasted. Ezra fasted. Nehemiah fasted. Esther fasted. Daniel fasted. The prophets fasted. The disciples fasted fasted. The early church fasted. And in all of these cases, they do it to be drawn closer to God. And in many of these times, the discipline of fasting goes together with the discipline of prayer, as we see in our passage, in the person of Anna. While your tummy is telling you you need food, there's a transition you make. It's a good time to recognize and I need God more than I need a sandwich. That, that gnawing in my tummy that says, get cereal or a steak, 
is nothing compared to the longing our souls have for God. That's the transition point. Maybe I've been missing this bigger hunger in the midst of all the chaos. And maybe we satisfy part of that longing that we discover in fasting with prayer as we are drawn then toward God. But let's keep going. Because there's another discipline here that I think is less noticed. And it's one that I've found interesting for a long time. And it's what some call the discipline of stability. This one has all but been lost to our world as our desire for newness and novelty consume us, as we become bored and distracted and discontent with what is and what we have and with where we are. And therefore, stability is the idea of cultivating a sense of of groundedness, rootedness, constancy, especially in one's spiritual life and relationship with God. This, this really came to fruition in the monastic movement of the Benedictines uh, because they were, they were reacting against a group of monks that were known as, let's say, gyrovegs. That's not pronounced correctly, but you get the idea. Uh, these people, these monks, spent all their time moving from one place to another. So they're here for three or four days, then they're there for three or four days, always on the mood, no stability. Alas, instead of finding more faithfulness, Too many of them simply found license to do whatever they wanted because if anything ever went wrong, they're just on the road a couple days later anyway, which is then part of the reason why the Benedictines valued staying put, staying grounded, staying in one place in community. Of course, this has deeper ramifications for our service and stewardship. Because if you know you are staying, then you invest and engage with your surroundings and with your community in a different way because it matters, because you have a vested interest in how things will go. And we we see this, I think, sometimes when we feel that, that wanderlust of our age. If you're always looking to what could be, If we're always just passing through, then there's no reason to care about here or us because you don't feel like you are here or us. And it's worth noting that you become harder to invest in too because you don't let yourself be known because you know you're moving on. Years back, I was watching a video that seemed to be making the point that stability within community is important because it allows us to see grace in each other, even in ourselves. Sure, sure, when I first met you, I didn't like you very much because, you know, you're you. But 10 years later, I find that you're not that bad. In fact, uh, I feel closer to you. And then... In the next 10, in the next 20, who knows, we may even become friends. And if God can do that in you and in me, goodness gracious, imagine where we see God's grace go next. But that transformation only takes place because we stay, because we stick with it, because we commit 
to each other. We commit to community. Alas, so often we spend so much time and effort looking to the greener grass on the other side. We spend so much time thinking about what's better, what's next, what what we're missing. We spend so much time worrying about the things we can't control that we miss out on what's happening right here. Now, you may be thinking, you should be thinking, where's the discipline here? The discipline comes as we remove options, as we decide to commit, as we choose stability. And we recognize, on the one hand, this is terrible advice, because you're always supposed to keep your options open. You're always supposed to, to be aware of what could happen and where could we go and what, what are all the different things that are out there? What if I'm missing something? And yet maybe that's part of the problem we face because there are just too many different things coming at us all at once. And there's always something new that's being offered to us and there's always something fighting for our attention. And because of all of these different choices, we feel unsettled and discontent. We feel like we're missing out. We worry about what we chose and didn't choose. And yet maybe there's a piece that comes with choosing to stay put. Maybe it brings us an ability to focus, an ability to dig deep and blossom where we've been planted. And note, we aren't just choosing to be rooted to a place. We're choosing to find our stability in God. And this is what we see in Anna. Especially as her stability leads to not just faithfulness, but worship. For Anna, her life is centered upon and focused towards and oriented by God. And this devotion then seeps out in her regular practice of worship. She is staying in the temple as she worships and prays and fasts. And it's because of that that she is there and meets Jesus. It's clear from the way that Anna lives that God is the most important part of her life. And that then shapes everything else. She values her time with God because she values God. Interactions, we see not just her faithfulness, but her love of God. Which, by the way, is another feature of all of these disciplines. We practice the disciplines in order to show our love for God, and as we, those disciplines work in us, they increase our love for God. We practice the disciplines out of recognition that God loves us, and as we practice these disciplines, we become more aware that He loves us more than we could ever imagine. Because, of course, maybe God is moving in our midst. And maybe too often we're simply unaware. Maybe sometimes we have to turn the noise and distraction down a little bit so that we can become more aware of God who is here. Let's pray. Lord God, Sometimes we relate a little too well to the story that began this sermon. 
that there may be some there may be a voice, a still small voice, your voice, speaking, and it's just getting drowned out or unrecognized or unlooked for. And so we pray that you would speak louder, but we pray that we would also take the steps of these disciplines, that we might clear some space amidst the crazy so that we might encounter you better. Lord God, we confess that we are not good at disciplines, and yet these were things that Jesus practiced, and we want the life He lived. So we pray that we would get better at the lifestyle. Help us as we work to get to know Him better, and we thank You, Lord, that even in the midst of all of this, you come to us. Even in the midst of this, you are with us. The, the good news there is that you are with us no matter what. Your still small voice is speaking. You are present. We just ask that you would help us to hear you better, that we would follow you more. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.